Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. We've all heard the phrase, man of God. Now, as I use that phrase this morning, I want you to know that it's generic. It's neither male nor female. It does not identify a certain age or a certain class. It involves all of God's people as we recognize what God wants to do in our lives, as we understand that he wants us to be less like ourselves and more like his son, Jesus Christ. Now, we've heard that term, but I ask you, how would you define that term? Maybe you'd define it as a God person. Maybe you'd define it as a Christ-like disciple, or one who closely follows God's truth. Alan Redpath has written a book about David's life, and he gives us this definition. Man of God is the description given to a man, woman, that follows God in every way, who obeys his commandments with joy, who does not live for the things of this life, but for the things of eternity who willingly serves his God in giving freely of all their resources, yet gladly suffers as a consequent of his faith. He then takes us to the Old Testament prophet Micah. And in Micah, we understand a God definition of a man of God. Micah writes this, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? That's a good thing to know, isn't it? What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. If you and I want to identify man of God, woman of God, person of God, we can go to Micah and we can ask ourselves, do we act justly, do we love kindness, do we walk humbly with our God? God. The phrase man of God is really an Old Testament phrase. 76 times in some 70 verses, individuals are identified as men, a man of God. Most of the time, it identifies an individual that God uses to give a message to his people. But there are some individuals that are identified. Moses was a man of God. Elijah, Elisha are identified as men of God. David was a man of God. In fact, the scripture says David was a man after God's own heart. Now, as we identify those people, we recognize very quickly that in order to be a man of God, woman of God, person of God, you don't have to be perfect. Moses was not perfect. In fact, God did not allow him to enter the promised land because he sinned. And certainly David could not be identified as living a life of perfection. And so as we think about what a man of God is, what a woman of God is, we must recognize that it's one who follows God in obedience to God. Paul here in our text writes to Timothy and identifies Timothy as a man of God. Only two times in the New Testament 
is that term used. One is here in 1 Timothy chapter 6. The other is over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, where we're told all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Here it is, that the man of God, the child of God, may be complete, truly furnished unto all good works. It's the Word of God that impacts the heart and allows somebody to be a person of God. Timothy is the only individual in the New Testament that's identified as a man of God. And in verse 11 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul writes, But as for you, O man of God. Now I want you to stop right there. Timothy was a young pastor at Ephesus. Timothy was called to lead a group of people. Timothy was told that no man should despise his youth, but he needed to be an example to the people. And Paul says emphatically to Timothy, but to you, Timothy, you are a man of God and don't let anybody tell you any different. You and I need to begin by understanding that as children of God, we represent God. And we are his people, even as it was reminded this morning in Psalm 100, the sheep of his pasture. Emphatically, God calls us to be men and women of God. Now, in our text this morning, we are going to discover four qualities of a man of God, a woman of God. And then I'm going to very quickly give you eight steps that we need to take in order to develop that quality, those qualities in our lives. Are you in 1 Timothy chapter 6? Here we go. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. The first quality of a man of God, a woman of God, is that they know when to run, when to flee, when to get away, when to escape things that would hold them back and not allow them to be the kind of people God wants them to be. Now, Paul simply says, flee these things. What's he talking about? Well, certainly he's talking about the love of money. We have studied that in chapter 6, where we have understood that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Timothy, don't allow money and fame and fortune to dominate your life. Get away from that, because that's not what's important. Three times in 1 Timothy, Paul reminds Timothy to flee false doctrine. Get away from it, Timothy. Timothy, you need to live according to the truth. You need not be conformed to this world, but transformed as your mind is renewed. Timothy, flee false doctrine. Get away. Don't even argue about it, Timothy. It's not worth it. Truth is truth. Live it out in your life. We could go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There we read that we are to flee sexual immorality. I thought growing up in the 60s that free love dominated our culture. It hadn't gotten any better, folks. 
whether it is through physical relationship, through a virtual relationship, through a print relationship, the man of God must flee sexual immorality. In order to be the kind of people God wants us to be, we must be faithful to him in all areas of our lives. We could go to chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, where we are told that we are to flee idolatry. John says that at the end of 1 John. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And an idol is anything that comes between us and our God that gains more importance than living out the truth for our God that causes us to be distracted from our God. That's an idol. We are to flee idolatry. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, flee youthful lusts that war against the soul. Timothy, do not be dominated by passions that are part of your being. Get rid of them. That great theologian, Kenny Rogers, put it this way. You got to know when to hold them. You got to know when to fold them. You got to know when to walk away and when to run. And Paul says, Timothy, if you're going to be a man of God, there's some things you need to run away from. Get them out of your life. Go in the opposite direction because they will only drag you down instead of pulling you up. The first quality of a man of God is he's got to know when to run, what to flee. The second quality of the man of God is he needs to know what to follow. If you're going to run away from some stuff, what are you going to run after? What are you going to pursue in your life? And Paul says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Now, I want to break these into couplets because I think it's important that we identify external and internal from our lives. The first couplet is righteousness and godliness. Godliness is, or righteousness is that which is doing right toward God and toward man. It's a life of obedience, a life of consistency, a life without compromise, where our walk matches our talk. It is doing things consistent with doctrine. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you try to fill your life with anything but the righteousness of God, you're going to end up empty. May I repeat that? If you try to fill your life with anything but the righteousness of God, you'll end up empty. Righteousness is working out the rightness of God. And godliness is that internal conviction that helps us recognize that we are the children of God. We read it earlier in chapter 6, didn't we? Godliness with contentment is great gain. 
God has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Second Peter chapter 1. Timothy, follow after righteousness. Follow after godliness. Make them foundational for your lives. Timothy, follow after faith and follow after love. Faith, complete and total confidence in God. It's living in the atmosphere where we know God exists and God is in control. Boy, do we need that today. And understanding that we can trust our God no matter what, whether we feel like it, whether it's easy, whether or not it's something that is pleasant to our lives, we can trust God. And it is that God-like atmosphere that God is in control. It's a loyalty to God and love, agape. Self-sacrificing. It's the kind of love that we are to have for our God, right? Where we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and with all of our soul, with all of our mind. It's the kind of love we're to have for our neighbors as we love our neighbors as ourselves. It's the kind of love that husbands are to have for their wives. You see, Paul puts together faith and love as he recognizes that faith is confidence and love is working out that confidence from their lives. And then he says, steadfastness and gentleness. Steadfastness, perseverance, endurance under pressure. You may have noticed on the side of my face I have a red splotch this morning. I had a mole removed. Went to the dermatologist on Friday, my first time at the dermatologist, and filled out all the paperwork and was called back into the, the exam room, and they took my blood pressure and took my pulse, and then the doctor came in and said, I want to take a picture of that, and then I want to take a, a sample, and, and we're going to send it out to be biopsied. You, you've been through that process. And she says to me, is it okay if I give you a stick and a sting? I said, No. Who volunteers for sticks and stings? She said, well, you signed the paperwork. And I thought to myself, I should have read the paperwork. Well, she gave me a stick and a sting, and then she biopsied the thing. And I I got to thinking afterwards. You know, I always think better after I've thought. Without that stick and a sting, that could have been painful. That could have really caused me some problems. That could have been an insurmountable difficulty in my life. You know, sometimes God gives us sticks and stings in order to help us get through stuff in life. Sometimes God brings the little stuff into our life so that we're then able to handle the big stuff. James puts it this way. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, (laughs) knowing that the trying of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's what I want. Steadfastness and gentleness. King James 
meekness. Jesus said something about meekness, didn't he, when he said the meek shall inherit the earth? And do not associate meekness with weakness. Do not associate meekness with hiding in the shadows. Do not associate meekness with being dominated. Meekness is power under control. Recognizing that we don't have to fight for ourselves because God fights for us. You know, Moses was quite a leader, wasn't he? He stood before Pharaoh and demonstrated the power of God in Pharaoh's court. He led God's people out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, into the Promised Land as a man of God. He took them through all of the challenges during that journey. And yet, Scripture says that Moses was more meek than any man on the earth. You talk about power under control. The man of God needs to know what to run away from, but he also needs to know what to run toward. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. That's what we pursue That's what we follow in our lives. The man of God needs to know when to fight. Paul says to Timothy here, verse 12, fight the good fight of faith. The word fight there is an interesting term. It's it's an athletic term, a, a military term, and it has the idea of great agony, great pressure. The seals have a saying The only easy day was yesterday. And sometimes the fight can be very demanding. And sometimes it'll wear you out. And sometimes it will seem to overwhelm you. But Paul says that kind of endurance, that kind of agony, that kind of good fight is indeed noble and excellent in your life. It's a good thing. When I grew up, my dad said, never get in a fight. Later on, I learned that there were some things worth fighting for. The faith is worth fighting for. In fact, Jude said that we are to earnestly contend for the faith. It's a noble fight. It's an excellent fight. It's worth fighting for. We need to know when to fight. You see, the body of truth is that which stabilizes us even in the midst of the battle, right? Because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities, against powers, rulers of the darkness in this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. And why do we fight the good faith? Because we take hold, we lay hold on eternal life. We recognize that there is a higher perspective that is ours. Last week I mentioned the Lord's Prayer. 
Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I said, we need to figure out what's going on in heaven so that we can practice that down on earth. And that's an eternal perspective. That's a different way of looking at it. That is long-term. And that is understanding how short-term this old life is. And Paul says, Timothy, lay hold, gravitate to Get a grip on eternal life. Set your affection on things above, not on things of this earth. Why? Because our citizenship is in heaven. And Paul said, Timothy, the end of verse 12, that's what you've been called to. You and I have not been called to be earthbound. You and I have been called to be heavenly generated as we understand that God has an internal purpose for us and our lives. Amen? Timothy, this is what you've been called to. I remember very distinctly my call to the gospel ministry. I was in college. A friend of mine by the name of Steve Weber We're out together one evening, and I remember God putting his hand upon me and says, Tom, I want you to be a minister of the gospel. I want you to recognize that I have chosen you to shepherd people. Now, through 45 years plus of of ministry, there have been times that I've wondered, oh, Lord, I don't know about this call. Can't you give me something else? But I've always gone back to the truth that faithful is he who called me who also will do it. You know, you and I have been called to heaven. That's our calling. And we can make it certain and sure in our lives. But we need to fight against the world. And we need to understand that the fight is worth it if we are going to be men and women of God. Identifying God's purpose in our lives. I want you to think about this this morning. You, I, have been chosen by God. God picked you. God picked me. Now, I'm not going to get into election and predestination and sovereignty and self Self-will and all of those kinds of things. But I want you to know this. When you trusted Jesus Christ as personal Savior, God picked you and God called you to be one of his children. And that's something special that no one can take away from you. There's absolutely nothing that can diminish the fact that God has called you to eternal life. And COVID can't take that away from you. Culture can't take that away from you. The crowd can't take that away from you. Comments that confuse you can't take that away from you. Because you and I as a child of God have been called. Called by a sovereign God and he never dismisses his calling. 
Timothy, you need to flee some things. Timothy, you need to follow. Timothy, there's a good fight. And Timothy, you need to be faithful. Paul says in verse 13, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, to keep Be faithful to the commandment, unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Timothy, be faithful. Why Jesus is coming back? Timothy, be faithful. Because as Jesus Christ stood before Pilate, and you can read about it in John chapter 18, he identified that his mission on earth was to speak the truth. He came as the way, the truth, and the life. He said, sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. And Jesus said, I come to tell you the truth. Pilate said, well, what's truth? (laughs) Unless you understand that, you're going to struggle. I was thinking this morning about how often we struggle when we have not decided what the truth is. And James puts it this way. We're like the waves of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Unless you can decide on what truth is, you will have no stability in your life. And you and I are to follow truth. We are charged to live out truth. In the presence of God who gives life to all things, live out truth. That's what it takes to be a man, woman of God. How can we do that? We can do it because it's a charge from a holy, self-existent God. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can do it because it is given to us in the Son of God. And we can do it because we have the Word of God. Paul says, Timothy, I charge you to keep the commandments. Now, we'll not take time this morning to go back to Exodus chapter 20 where we list the commandments. And those commandments deal with our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with man. But if we start with our vertical relationship, we discover no other gods, no idols, don't take his name in vain, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Be faithful to those things, Timothy. Why? Because you need to walk with the right God. You need to worship the right God. You need to identify the right God. Who is truth in your life? You need to identify the right God the right way. And Timothy, don't have any idols. Don't let anything come between you and your relationship with your God. You need to identify the right God the right way with the right attitude. Timothy, don't dismiss who God is by taking his name in vain. God is sovereign, God is holy, God is righteous. Don't 
don't try to bring him down to your level. And by the way, Timothy, you can't get up to his level either. That's way above your pay grade. And Timothy, you need to identify the right God the right way with the right kind of commitment, with the right kind of attitude and the right kind of commitment. In the Old Testament, it's keeping the, the Sabbath holy, giving God his proper place, recognizing that he deserves a priority in my life. That's what the Sabbath was all about. Timothy, you need to be faithful. And it's interesting. Verse 14 says, Timothy, be faithful to the commandment, unstained and free from reproach, and do it until Jesus comes back. Without spot, without blemish. Timothy, no excuses. You're either going to do it or you're not. Timothy, drive a stake in the ground right now and say, this is my position. This is what God wants for me. And I'm going to do it no matter what. You know how much freedom that gives you? You know how that takes away fear? If we have determined to be men and women of God, and to be faithful to God. That takes care of a whole lot of stuff, doesn't it? And we can trust God. Now, how do we do that? Let me give you eight steps that you need to take. Number one, you need to make it a priority in your life. If it's not a priority, it won't happen. If it's not something that you put first in your life, it won't take place. What Jesus say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Peter put it this way, but sanctify, set apart as Lord, but sanctify the Lord God in your heart. That's number one. And be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asks you a reason the hope is in you with meekness and fear. If you do not make becoming and being a man of God, a woman of God in your life a priority, it'll never happen. Number two, you need to be active. You need to take the initiative. You cannot accidentally become a child of a, a man of God, a woman of God, or even a child of God for that matter. You must be intentional. It doesn't happen because you're blessed to be in America. It doesn't happen because you had a great Thanksgiving. It doesn't happen because you keep nice people around you. You have to make it an incentive, an intentional, active part of your life. To become a man of God, it has to be active, intentional. Number three, no fear. You know, the scripture says the fear of man brings a snare. And how many people I have talked to over the years who have said, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be 
more like God, but I, I'm afraid of what people might think of me. They'll, they'll think I'm holier than I. You know what? It's not being holier than thou. It's being as holy as God wants you to be. Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's what God said. No fear. I'm going to do it. I don't care what man will do to me. I don't care what man thinks of me. I don't care of the pressures I get from those around me. That takes courage if we are going to live as men and women of God. You need to order your life. I'm a list kind of person. If I'm working at home, I'll put a list together. I need to do this and this and this and this and this. If I'm working in the office, I put a list together. I need to do this and this. I'm I'm a list kind of person. Why? Because it brings order to my life. I have direction. If we are going to be men and women of God, we need to have direction. We need to put order in our lives. And perhaps the first thing we need to do is get rid of some of the junk in our lives. Isn't that what the writer of Hebrews said? Let us lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily entangles us and run with endurance the race that is set before us. Connie and I are cleaning out closets. You know how much junk you can put in a closet? I think it's interesting that Jesus said when you pray, enter into your closet. Now, maybe he said that because God's interested in all the junk in your life. And he is. But we are trying to order our lives. We are trying to get rid of some stuff. We are trying to understand what we need and what we don't need. We are trying to recognize what is really important and what isn't. And if we are going to be men and women of God, we need to order our lives Recognize that there are some things that you need to, that I need to get rid of. We need to find satisfaction in God. I found this quote this past week. I can't identify its author, but it said this. Don't think less of yourself. Think of yourself less. Let me repeat that. Don't think less of yourself because in God, we are everything, right? But think of yourself. It's not about me. It's not about my little world. It's not about my emotion, my feelings, my confusion. And when I think about me, that's exactly where I end up. We need to find our satisfaction in God. Three more. Get some goals. You will not accidentally become a man or woman of God. We talk a lot about it around here, don't we? Next spiritual steps. We try to identify what it's going to take for us to move forward with God. I haven't arrived, but I'm making progress. And you and I need to get some goals that we press toward the mark for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We need to be obedient no matter what. 
We need to be obedient no matter what. First Peter, prepare your mind for action as obedient children. Not fashioning yourselves according to your former life. Be obedient no matter what. And lastly, don't give up and don't give in. Don't give up and don't give in. You're going to fall. You're going to fail. You're going to struggle. I've fallen. I've failed. I've struggled. But I'm not giving up because I know what God wants for my life. And he wants me to be a man of God. And he's challenging me and he's changing me so that I can conform to Jesus Christ. Paul says, Timothy, as for you, man of God. Flee some things, Timothy. There's stuff to run away from. Timothy, follow some stuff. There's stuff to pursue. Timothy, there's a good fight. Fight the good fight in agonizing over being what God wants you to be. And Timothy, be faithful. Keep the commandments. Unspotted, without blemish. Just live out God's truth in your life. Before God and before man. Be a man of God, Timothy. And again, I think it interesting. Timothy's the only person in the New Testament that is described as a man of God. A young pastor that was struggling to fulfill his calling. Paul says, Timothy, even in the struggle, be a man of God. Because that's what's most 